This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Good morning, everyone. Happy Thursday. It's Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian, who is on vacation this week, but he'll be back Monday. Uh, Talk Back this morning is brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, offering residential and commercial cleaning with their powerful steam extraction method. Also by Y West Storage, located at the Y at 7099 Two Smokes Way. Call for pricing and availability at 406 510 0590. Also by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. No matter how cold it gets, Gomer's has everything you need to make sure your rig starts every time. And by Harrington Surgical Supply, their mission remains the same to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. All right, we are here on TalkBack, and our friend Bob Seidenschwartz from the Montana World Affairs Council is here in the studio. But for the first half hour, we're going to have open phones with Bob, and then uh, he has a very special guest, Corey Miller from the Deshaw Ranch, coming in, as well as uh, uh, Rob from SG Long Financial. They're going to be here at 8.30, but until 8.30, we want to hear what you want to talk about. Uh, phone number is 721-1290. Give us a call, anything that's kind of on top of mind. I know Bob has some stuff he wants to kick around. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Nick, and uh, good morning, Missoula. A little blustery coming out of the rattlesnake this morning. Yeah, very yeah. windy. I was. It, we have a little intercom out front, so I'm, I'm waiting patiently because the door's locked until a certain time for Bob, and so I'm like, I press the button so that I could see the screen and, you know, hear it, and you just hear... Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but poor Bob's like, what's that noise? It's, it's like, winter. Yeah, that, that's the wind you're out. Yeah. <laughs> so, Nick, before we get started, uh, I, I want to renegotiate my contract here. Oh, oh um, no. I don't know if the audience realizes <laughs> that, you know, I make big bucks coming on this oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, instead of getting one KGVO coffee, I would like some pastries oh. um, and a gas card maybe for five oh, or ten bucks. Man. What do you think? I think I will run that up the chain. Yeah. I think when, when I get paid adequately, then you can get paid adequately. Yeah, <laughs> Look, this is a labor of love, folks, so yes. uh, be, be, be kind to me. Yes. And, uh, oh, we got a call already. We so, do. Uh, maybe think... somebody's going to get some pastries for me. Hey, Dave, I'll put you on hold. Okay. I think we have Dave on the line. Dave, uh, what do you got going this morning? Yes, I'd like to talk immigration. Go ahead. You know, I've been, yes, I've been doing a little research on immigration. If you let me talk for a moment here. Uh, There have been over 72 immigration laws passed in our country. The first one was in 1790. And the interesting thing about that that law, it said only white people could become naturalized citizens. So, Dave, you were listening to the show a couple of weeks ago when we uh, when we had this discussion. We went down through some lists of some pretty crazy stuff. So I I missed it. I was out of town helping a woman, so I missed some of it. Um, but you know, like 19, 1880, it was against the law for. Uh, uh, Asian, a person to come into the country. Mm-hmm. Chinese uh, Immigration Act. Right. But, you know, I'd like to focus on most recent law that is on the books that I know of. It, there have been modifications to it, but it basically is the 1980 law that gives Im- uh, refugees rights. It gives them the right to a trial. 
in this country. Right. And uh, I think, you know, certainly the president has power. He can lock down the border for a while, but he'll instantly get lawsuits that'll wind up in court. And uh, his power isn't necessarily guaranteed to fix the board. But, uh, the borders, uh, laws, laws are the laws. And if we're, we need to change the laws to, to change the 1980 immigration law. So, Otherwise, whatever happens on, on the border is just temporary. So, Dave, um, you, uh, you're bringing up something that we've had discussion about this on several occasions. We can have disagreements. We can see clearly that something is remiss here. But the point you're really kind of hitting on is those are the laws right now. And having a clear understanding of what you do when you come into the country and apply for asylum is such that you're able to, if you can get to a border, uh, you know, crossing, and you come up and you say, look, I'm applying for asylum, these are my reasons, there is a process that's involved. So I think we've long maintained that if you want to do something that's meaningful and longstanding, you've got to deal with the legalities first. Right, exactly. Yeah. And and no president can fix the can lock down the country forever. He cannot change immigration laws. I um, mean that has to be done by by Congress and the president signing new laws. Now that doesn't mean and, that issues that are that we're experiencing right now cannot push and affect certain changes in that law. But I think you're spot on here, Dave. And as frustrating as that may be, there's a host of other factors. Uh, Nick just signaled we got to go to a break here, Dave. So when we come back. Um, you know, if we've answered or at least touched on your question, thank you. And we've got another caller waiting for us as well. Thanks, Dave. Sure. Thank you. All right. Yeah, we will be back. This is a quick little two-minute timeout. We already have Joe on the line. Uh, I believe that's Nancy, I think, also calling. So I'm going to take that call, and we will be back uh, right after this quick timeout. Honey, would you? Dennis Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. Winter weather advisories and winter storm warnings today for persistent snow this morning. It will taper off, leaving behind an inch or two in the Missoula Valley and Clark Fork, with a potential for up to three inches or more in the southern Bitterroot. Lingering scattered snow showers possible throughout the day, but by this evening, we should see some clearing. That means overnight lows into Friday morning will be down in the low teens, some areas in the single digits. Windshield will also be a challenge. Friday and Saturday look sunny, though, turning warmer on Sunday. All right, we are back on TalkBack here. Uh, open phones for the next 15 minutes or so. Uh, our friend Bob Seidenschwartz is in studio with us taking your calls, and I believe Joe is up next. Uh, Joe, what's your question or comment for open phones? Yeah, thank you. Uh, the current law on immigration is detain and deport. Detain and then evaluate people and then deport those who aren't uh, qualified. So my opinion, uh, President Biden is violating the law. But I, what I wanted to comment on is uh, Monica Trinnell. Uh, she's, I believe she's totally out of touch with the Montanans on this subject, you know, and this, this law that they wanted passed, I think has a billion dollars for NGOs so they can bust people around the country. And I'm sure that that's one of their, John Tester's and Monica's prime constituencies is the NGOs, especially in Missoula, 
And uh, I just, you know, this guy Langford from uh, Oklahoma, he's in big political trouble. He's a Republican, and he pretty much lied about the bill. And uh, so politically, I don't think that uh, Monica has a chance based on the fact that she supports that bill. And I think that uh, Chester will lose on that as well. And uh, I like uh, Rosendale pretty well, although I'm not against Sheehy either. So uh, that's my comments. All right. Thanks, Joe. Anything to add, Bob? Um, You know, I'm not following the races uh, with Monica. Uh, I see the ads on she. It's it's never-ending. But, hey, it's it's political season, right? So what to expect? But just a quick comment when he mentioned about detain and deport. Yeah, you're detained. You have to apply. Then you get a hearing when you're applying for asylum. Mm -hmm. It's not like you show up and I go, hey, Nick, so, you know, I don't like you. You don't have a good reason. And <laughs> yeah. back to where you came from, you have the legal system that says you are entitled legally to a to hearing the process, yeah. on the, the process. Correct. And what happens is you're then given a date at what point well into the future you disappear. I mean, that's where we have the brokenness of the system. Mm. Oh, interesting. But folks are able to apply and then get a hearing to determine their status based on what the qualifications may be. All right. Let's, uh, I think Nancy's next. Nancy, what's your question or comment for open phones this morning? Well, you know, I'm uh, really against uh, any kind of illegal immigration into our country. And it's being seen all over the world. And there's just uh, uprisings everywhere. And I just want to say that there, I've been following illegal immigration since the 1980s because I am a, a freelance writer and I've written a lot of columns about it. And I um, started to notice that the Catholic Church were bringing El Salvadorians into uh, the Detroit City, Michigan area. And what I want to say is that uh, we can't allow this. Uh, we have federal laws on the books, and um, there's no reason why we should allow any uh, illegals into the country because there's an international law that says the first 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 country that any uh person is seeking asylum uh they have to take him in and that would be the the country of mexico now mexico is our enemy and i think the uh, president of mexico gets a big thrill out of shoving all these uh, third world uh disease-ridden uh parasitic people into a developed country like the united states and that's exactly what they are they are parasites suckling off of a developed nation. And uh, I, am, I am just so angry over this and the crime that they're committing in our country, all the way from uh, New York City to the coast of California. And I'm telling you, this tragic, tragic, heartbreaking shooting in Kansas, I have a gut feeling that the three uh, suspects are illegal aliens. They're covering for him um, too too much. They're they're you know if it was somebody American or a, a white guy or whatever, uh, they'd be they'd have their images all over the media. So I'm smelling a dead rat here, and uh, we have to stop this. I believe in deportation. I want the law completed. And um, last year, the illegals cost our taxpayers four hundred and eighty-one billion dollars. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's to the point now where, well, President or Governor Abbott, he's busing illegals to other states and cities, 
And like Virginia, they're starting to fly him back to Texas. I mean, when is this going to end? It's it's a circus, a merry-go-round. Enough, enough, enough. Enforce our immigration laws. And both those who, uh, well, like you're talking about there in Missoula, these Democrat uh, socialists, get them out of office. Don't give them a chance uh, to break our federal laws of immigration. All right. Thanks, Nancy. Nancy, thank you. All right. We're up against our next break. Uh, Jeff is on hold, so we'll get to his call right when we come back. Open phones for another eight or nine minutes here, uh, Nick and Bob, and uh, we would love to hear from you. We'll be right back. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. You must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this... Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Did you receive a call or message that mentioned Social Security and demanded immediate action? Did the caller know your Social Security number or other personal information and tell you that your Social Security number had been used in connection with the crime? Did you feel worried that your Social Security number might be suspended? Your bank account might be frozen or seized, or you could be arrested. That is not the Social Security Administration. Social Security will not threaten you, demand your personal information or instant payment, email or text you pictures or documents, or use a real government official's name to gain your trust. Social Security does not accept payments by gift card, prepaid debit card, internet currency, or by mailing cash. Criminals use these forms of payment because they are hard to trace. Do not be fooled. Hang up. Ignore them. Report this criminal activity to the Social Security Administration Office of the Inspector General at oig.ssa.gov. Produced at U.S. taxpayer expense. All right, we are back on Talkback here. Nick Christensen filling in for Peter Christian. We only have about... Ooh, four or five minutes left of open phones. So we're going to get Jeff here, but yeah. Nick and I were talking about something quite interesting, but and uh, to fealty to Jeff, uh, we should get him on the line, and then if we have time, yeah. we'll bring up what we were discussing. Jeff might even be bringing up what we He may be simpatico to us. <laughs> Jeff, what's going on? Hey, I appreciate your fealty uh, there, Bob. Yep, <laughs> all day long, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, um... I don't think we have enough things in the world to worry about, so I'd like to introduce my worry of the week. And that's that the tectonic plates under the Pacific Ocean are being torn apart slowly. And so, uh, you know, we don't know what that means. I think it means probably more volcanic action and eruptions and different things. So, And then when you look at Iceland and the increased volcanic activity up there, um, and then uh, also in, uh, along the Aleutian chain, that's a fault up there. And, uh, you know, to cap it off, we in western Montana live on a fault line. Um, so I just think we need to worry about all the tectonic activity that's going on around the world and, uh, and what, what that bodes for, uh, for our survival. So, so and, uh, Jeff, here's my question to you. Whose fault is it? 
I blame Dumb global bump. warming. And so, uh, and, and to add to that, we have, uh, we're at solar maxima now in the sunspot cycle, uh, which means that the magnetic poles are flipping on the sun and that we're going to have increased solar flares. So, um, I mean, there's just all sorts of things to worry about out there. Um, and uh, I, I think that we need to, to worry more in our life and uh, have less peace and calm. And obviously my uh, tongue is firmly in my cheek when I say that. <laughs> well, and Jeff, your ears There's must be... nothing we can do about any of that. Your ears must be burning because uh, tomorrow we're going to have Peter Kolb on. It's just going to be he and I, and he wants to kind of talk about specifically that uh, and specifically climate change and try to kind of get folks a little riled up. So um, I'm assuming you'll be listening, but yeah, give... Give Peter a call, and I'm sure he'd love to answer some of your questions well, about and, that. And, Jeff, I'll make this real quick. Uh, you've read uh, Shelley's Frankenstein. Is, is that correct? Correct. So what? when she wrote that book, at the date that she did, there was a massive volcanic eruption that caused Europe to have winter pretty much in the summer, led to crop failure, mm -hmm. uh, starvation, and this thing lasted for quite some time. So if you look back to your point in history, you will see enough natural disasters to make us worry so that these other issues become or pale in comparison, which goes back to the point of resiliency and preparation for the inevitable that we face on this planet, regardless of the reasons. There you go. We it, yeah. That's all I'm going to say, Jeff. Yeah, we have all these all these concerns about, you know, 40, 50, 100 years from now. And meanwhile, if we do, in seriousness, if we do have an eruption like Krakatoa, um, yeah, we're going to have uh, what resembles a nuclear winter for two or three years. It's right. going to get a real cold and a lot of crop failure. And so, damn you know, those Republicans for causing things. it, Jeff. <laughs> we'll get them. Oh, you know, you know, yeah, it was my carbon footprint. There I'm you sorry. go. That's right. Mm. Well, Jeff, we're going to have to go to a break here, and we're going to start our show at 830. Our guests have arrived. Thanks, Jeff. So thank you, as always. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess since we don't have any other callers, let's just take our break early since our guests are here. We're going to speak with uh, Corey Miller from Dayshaw Ranch and Rob Richardson from SG Long. And so let's take this break here, and we'll be back with our guests. It is Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. Winter weather advisories and winter storm warnings today for persistent snow this morning. It will taper off, leaving behind an inch or two in the Missoula Valley and Clark Fork, with a potential for up to three inches or more in the southern Bitterroot. Lingering scattered snow showers possible throughout the day, but by this evening, we should see some clearing. That means overnight lows into Friday morning will be down in the low teens, some areas in the single digits. Windshield will also be a challenge. Friday and Saturday look sunny, though, turning warmer on Sunday. All right, we are back on Talkback, shifting gears here. We have Bob Seiden-Schwartz from the Montana World Affairs Council joining us, as well as Rob Richardson from SG Long Financial and Corey Miller, Deshaw Ranch. And uh, Bob, we have a full house this morning, so yeah. what, are, what are we going to be talking about? Well, you know, kind of pivoting off of what uh, Jeff was talking about in terms of issues that we should be worried about, I think at the top of the list, which has never probably been any different, Food security. And we have here in our uh, studio a gentleman who's trying to do something about that right here in little old Missoula, Montana. So, Nick, if you want to introduce our uh, guest, Corey, <clears throat> excuse me, guys, a little bit of a background. And uh, we, Rob and myself, had the pleasure of having a podcast, which is really what kind of prompted me to say, hey, we need to get this guy on the radio. Yeah. This is a big topic. 
It's of great interest, so many different variables here. So we've got our time today with Corey to be able to discuss this. Yeah, uh, we're reading this here in the summer of 2021. The Miller family purchased and began operating the historic uh, Deshaw Ranch. The ranch currently encompasses a thousand acres of fertile soil just south of the Missoula International Airport. The ranch currently produces sod, hay, beef, pork, and honey, all of which are grown uh, regenerative, regeneratively. <laughs> the ranch also boasts a microbiological uh, soil lab on site. The health of our soil is our number one concern. And you also have a composting barn on the ranch that you use to produce biocomplete fungal and predator dominant compost extracts and teas. So, Corey, welcome to the show. Tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I, I, I really enjoy talking about farming. <laughs> Easy, yeah. Um, so, you know, w when we bought the place, it was, what can we do to make this better? And being a really good place to start is let's focus on the soil. Let's continue to improve it. And, and with that comes health of our animals, better product, better tasting product, um, long lasting and better yields for the, the grasses that we're growing to feed these animals. So, Corey, let, let's just uh, back up a little bit, set the stage here for our listening audience. Missoula Valley, rich history, agriculture, and, of course, we've seen the growth here. Yeah. And if we start looking at where the available, really open land still is, it's west of Missoula. Correct. Now, maybe if you start heading east, that gets a little narrow up there as you're heading out towards Clinton. But in terms of just the soil fertility. Yeah. We don't have a lot of areas because of the nature of our soils and the history yeah. that you would consider it to be real rich arable soil. Is that correct? Correct. And we, we talked about this the other day that you look at where cities developed, they developed where their best farming or capabilities to right. produce food was. So if you look at the Missoula Valley, our best soils are already developed. Yeah. They already have houses on them. And I may have a house on... Grove Street, and I remember digging uh, in a sewer line, and I got 10 feet of topsoil, black topsoil. <laughs> did, did you let your neighbors know and start they start taking some of the topsoil away? Because, <laughs> well, let's, let's yeah, grow a good garden. Right? Why do gardens grow so right? well in orchard homes? Because yeah. it's the best soils that Missoula has. Right. And, and when you're talking about soils, too, uh, there's a little place that when you start heading west of here yeah. towards Seattle called the Palouse. Yeah. And if folks have been out that way, that is some of the richest soil. Some of the riches. Yeah, where yeah. did it come from? Well, that's a story that we're <laughs> going to let you tell. And I also want to make sure that we introduce uh, properly. Rob is here today because any of this discussion really has deep economic ties yeah. and implications to this. So as we're going to start to give kind of an overview of what you're doing, we want to also tie that into issues not just in Missoula, but within the state, the country, and what we're looking at in terms of kind of global food security as well, yeah. because they're all tied together here. And Rob will help to uh, bring us some of that type of insight. So you, you purchased this ranch, and what brought you to that point in the first place in terms of you just didn't wake up one day and go, oh, I got a better idea. I suspect that this has been kind of percolating yeah, and in I've your been, thinking for a long time. Yeah, I've been working on kind of a process that, that we could implement to improve land. Um, and I had to do with businesses and stuff that I was involved with and, and learning the abilities and the capabilities, well, I wouldn't say the abilities, but the capabilities of fungi and what fungi can do in the soil. All right, so let's talk about that little guy. Fungi, what does <laughs> he do and why should we like him? <laughs> well, fungi are, I mean, their purpose is to break down carbon mm -hmm. and they are our link to store carbon long-term in the soil. And 
the the benefit that the, you know they're breaking down these living organisms, plants, animals, things that are dying, and then placing that carbon into long-term storage, which then makes it available to a plant to now put deeper into the soil. So in, in terms of using it in that manner, that would be the more organic way of describing how that functions Correct. in, in nature. Yeah. What we do then, of course, is we add certain types of ingredients to get more yield. And, yeah, and especially well, when you're looking at large corporate type of farming, uh, where we need to produce very substantial amounts of food, that, that's kind of what I want to work through as we go through this conversation is that where's the different hierarchies that exist? So set the stage for us in terms of in terms of food production. Yeah. What are the hierarchies that exist from top to bottom? So from the big corps right down to local ranchers and farmers. Well, I mean, that's a very, very complex topic. But you, you Well, know, that's what you're here for. <laughs> that's why we have an hour and a half. Yeah. Starting from the beginning, um, you know, the Department of Agriculture has a lot of programs that, you know, subsidize farmers specifically for certain crops that they produce. They also subsidize farmers for taking, you know, land out of production to try to improve that soil quality. So there's a long list of these things that have cascaded, you know, and I'm not even positive when we came up with farm policy specifically on the government side, but essentially after the dust bowls, what do we do to fix these soils and how can we get back right. to replenishing or at least prevent this from happening again. And I was, it was interesting. I was listening to a, a talk yesterday by uh, Dr. Alan Williams and he basically made the point that, you know, he showed a picture of what Eastern Colorado looked like in, you know, during the dust bowl and then showed a picture of, exact, of the exact same spot taken in 2023. They look no different. The only difference was that the dust cloud in the 30s was really dark black and the dust cloud in 2023 was really really light so what does that tell me we've lost our a horizon we've lost our good soils they've blown away well, i yeah i don't have anything on that i think that's pretty interesting yeah just that was the only difference we're still having dust we're still losing soil and it has to come you know 90 percent of it in my opinion now this isn't scientific but in my opinion comes from tillage all right, so so I think maybe that highlights the difference between like um, sort of traditional industrial agricultural practices and kind of what you're um, doing here with or, or so this is kind of like a catchphrase or something you're hearing a lot more regenerative ag. What, what exactly? What's the difference between that and? you know, kind of these policies that you're talking about that we've kind of historically used? Well, so, you know, it's looking at the, what we what we think of as industrial farming, right? Mm -hmm. Heavy tillage, mass production, and, and high volumes of animals, animals in small areas. And bringing that feed to them, keep, keeping them contained so that it's easier, you know, less people can manage it. The theory is it becomes cheaper to operate. Sure. Yeah, um, so, we, so we've kind of set it up to optimize for throughput, right? Volume. Yeah, production, you know, maximizing right, the resource you're putting in and getting something out of it. Yeah. So in terms of, if you look at origins, you started out by saying simply, where did we locate and farm to begin with since time began? Yeah, we're along rivers. Along rivers where we have yeah. water access, we where we had our better right. soils. Right, and, and what do rivers do? They periodically flood. Yep. And that flooding is what replenishes these soils. Uh, look, the Mississippi River, as destructive as it is, yeah. um, and some of our policies have even exacerbated that, was the great replenisher 
If you look at from Minnesota right down to the Gulf of Mexico, um, this was an annual event that produced some of the richest soils in the world. Now, why did it become a problem? Well, it only became a problem when I built my house there. (laughs) <laughs> or I put my town there, right? Yeah, they're in the middle of part of, uh, and, and let's continue this, but we'll, we'll yeah. go to a break here. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're, we're up against our next break here, so we're just kind of starting the conversation with uh, Corey Miller from Dayshaw Ranch. We also have Rob Richardson in studio from SG Long, Bob Seiden Schwartz as well. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions, give us a call. Phone number is 721-1290. We will be back right after this quick break. Hey, we have a hunch. All right, we are back on Talkback. Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian, who is on vacation this week. He will be back on Monday. And we have Bob Seidenschwartz in studio along with Rob Richardson and Corey Miller. And we're kind of just getting started on our conversation here. Uh, go ahead, Bob. Well, kind of given you know, the big picture story of, of ag. We were talking about the Mississippi. Yeah. And it flooded pretty much every year. And it brought those regenerative soils back, too. In a natural state, people that lived along the Mississippi were—they were not sedentary; they were tribal. So when they knew the Mississippi was going to flood, you pack up and you go someplace else, higher ground. Higher ground. What we then do is we start bringing permanent settlements, yeah. and we build those settlements right at the mouth of or on these rivers. So, ergo, what do we start to experience? The issues associated with nature's natural cycles yeah we start to flood we start to flood and then our population starts to grow and those are the areas that you alluded to are the richest areas for farming and production so tell a little bit about that story in terms of just kind of the evolution of that and then where do we get to the place where obviously we are today well it's i mean it's expensive to pull up and move right you know it takes energy and you know, Native Americans have done it for many years. They did it on our ranch. I mean, where we're located was Native American wintering area. Had warm water, uh, shelter from the north, and big grass prairies that livestock could feed on through the winter. And, of course, that changes. We come and somebody else, you know, whoever moves into that area and starts claiming it as their own, producing or taking the resources that they need. Right. And then, of course, the dynamic changes. And at that point, now we're settled. Mm-hmm. And what do we do when we're settled? Well, we need to produce food. And so we start cultivating the land. We start planting the seed, potentially native or non-native, but what we're trying to grow. <clears throat> you know, wheat, things that came over from Europe, all of a sudden start showing up on the plains, and we start moving westward. And in that process, you know, we're bringing oxen, we're bringing plows, we're starting to change that soil. We're starting to tear it up, put new seed in. And that gets us, you know, to where we are today of just making that process uh, bigger, easier, faster to complete. Right. And and when you're describing bringing uh, European type of food sources, cattle, oxen, that's a different animal on the plains than buffalo. Correct. And it has a different impact on the soils. So describe a little bit that differentiation between what was happening while you had massive herds of buffalo as it relates to the soil. And then what starts happening when you're getting settled and a different type of animal that's walking on those plains. Yeah, I mean, Alan Savory kind of... You know, we, we think that all of this new research that's coming out about how we should rotationally graze animals is new. 
And it's really not. All it is is observations of what happened in the past. You know, buffalo were moving, but they were moved for two reasons. One, to find food or water. And two, because a predator was chasing them. And they were moved in big, big groups. Well, when you look out in a field, you know, people ask me all the time, well, well, if I put one horse on five acres, can I overgraze it? And I said, yeah, if that horse never moves, it's never going to allow the plants. It's going to eat everything that grows. But if you put 100 horses in that same area and they're only there for a few hours in the course of a year, well, they produce very, very good or beneficial impact on that soil. Same thing happened, you know, across the plains. When buffalo would move two, three, four hundred thousand at a time, they would go in, they would eat an area, they would refertilize that area, they would spread the seed in that area, and they may not come back for one, two, three, four years. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, they continued to fertilize, they continued to make this, this ground fertile. As we, you know, started moving and building fences, you know, barbed wire, we, we discovered barbed wire and its abilities, we could now keep animals contained, which made it easier for the animal manager, but made it harder on the soil. Right. So this is as much as population growth and demand, of course, has an impact. It's also a systems issue. Significant very, systems Very issue. much as well. And, and I know, you know, from Rob's perspective and what we do as far as our work, we're always looking at these different variables to consider. Yep. What's the effect on a specific system? It could be chips. It could be food production. You name it. These are variables that are consistent. Yeah. From one type of entity to another. Different issues, of course, but the principle is yeah. still the same. So now we're looking at a planet where we've passed seven and a half billion people. We're heading towards 10 or 11 at some point in the not too distant future. Uh, water scarcity, uh, you mentioned earlier in terms of just agricultural land. We have built on some of the best agricultural land, not just here, but in many other places. So is it a crisis yet? Or is it racing quickly towards that crisis? And that's where we're going to talk about the work that you're doing, where its place is, uh, how it can be applied, what are some of the things that you've seen, not just as it relates to your specific work, but yeah. can it be uplifted into a larger type of well, theme? There, yeah, and there's groups now. I mean, Understanding Egg is a big one where they're really out teaching the regenerative model and how you're going to manage livestock into the future and manage, you know, plants for that matter. You know, it's, we always think of, well, you know, there's a really good definition of what is a weed, right? Can anybody answer? It's not subjective. It's, it's, it's what it's, I don't want in my garden. It's what you don't want, but maybe I like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> maybe yeah. it has a medicinal quality right. or, or, you right. know, if it's for my livestock, I, I really interested, you know, the benefit of weeds is they tend to have higher protein. So if I can convince my cows to eat it, well, there's going to be a, a health benefit to my cattle. All right, so give us a couple of definitions of certain weeds that we eradicate. Well, and you uh, have to sit down and have a conversation with your cows to go, look, guys, <laughs> this is good stuff. Well, it, well, we, we do exactly that. We have thistle, and everybody it, hates thistle. Right. Right, but my cows absolutely love it. And why do they love it? It's because we put a little bit of molasses on it and encourage uh, them. There, there you go. go. <laughs> Everybody likes a little bit of sugar. A little ranch there on their broccoli. Little, yeah. <laughs> look, we got to go to a break when we come back. But uh, look, we're just setting the stage. Uh, this is a big issue, um, a, a lot of variations to it. So, uh, Corey, welcome. And Rob, um, thank you for joining us as well. So when we come back from the break... We'll continue the conversation. Yeah, and we'd love to hear from you guys. Phone number is 721-1290 if you want to get in the queue 
All our lines are open. Just give us a call, and we'll be back right after this quick timeout. It is Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. Winter weather advisories and winter storm warnings today for persistent snow this morning. It will taper off, leaving behind an inch or two in the Missoula Valley and Clark Fork, with a potential for up to three inches or more in the southern Bitterroot. Lingering scattered snow showers possible throughout the day, but by this evening, we should see some clearing. That means overnight lows into Friday morning will be down in the low teens, some areas in the single digits. Windshield will also be a challenge. Friday and Saturday look sunny, though, turning warmer on Sunday. We are back on talk back. Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian, who is on vacation this week. He will be back on Monday. Uh, this morning, we are talking with Corey Miller from Grass Valley Farms, as well as Rob Richardson from SG Long, as well as Bob Seidenschwartz. And we do have our first caller for the this uh, this hour. And Dave, you are on with our guests. What's your uh, question or comment? Yes, I, I went on a hunt many years ago uh, up by Big Sky Ski Resort on the other side of it. It was a big open area, grassland, and I was, yeah, it was after elk. And there was a, there was a big herd of elk up there, and um, it, so we, we started trying to walk up that in the snow, deep snow, up the open fields and in the gullies and what have But we ran into to fenced boxes. These were 10-foot-high fence boxes that started at the top of the hill, ran down the gully, and then on top of the, the other little hill. And we had to walk around them. But inside those boxes, it was like a, a jungle. Lots and lots of trees. I mean, really thick. But it, the rest of the area was all grassland. And I don't know if the elk were causing that, but, uh, you know, they were there too long and 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 affecting the, the the area but without with those boxes protecting you know protecting the land against the animal the grazers it was sure changed this is Corey. that was interesting you say that i i remember uh, a friend of mine that does spends quite a bit of time in yellowstone and took me through there and he, he's big proponent of you know yellowstone being overgrazed and uh, our management there is not as good as it could be. And, and two years ago, I took my daughter down there elk hunting, and exact same thing. She had, you know, we saw these boxes of areas that had not been disturbed by animals, and then desolate, you know, almost dusty plain outside of it. You know, overgrazing happens because of what we are doing as people pushing animals to certain places or to the periphery. They still have to eat. They just have a lot less space to, to collect that same amount of food. Well, and that runs into, you know, the civilization and what was an open architecture in terms of how things were so how do we uh and and first actually dave i I don't mean to my apologies anything else else thank you okay thanks yeah and and rob there's something here that probably is worthy of um some insight on your part and what are we looking at for time three minutes before a hard break yeah so in terms of incentive why do we do what it is that we do you know, I, I, I think if we, to kind of understand where we're at now, right, you just think from the perspective of if, if you're a rancher or a farmer, right, you own property, your livelihood is based on, you know, what you can produce from the land. One of the things that you want is more predictability, right? You want to control whatever you can to get sort of the most revenue out of the resources that you have with the, the least amount of cost. So... You know, you're a proponent of dams, right, that prevent flooding. You're a proponent of 
you know, kind of traditional tilling and ranching, right? That is is looking to maximize what you can get out of a you know an, an acre in, in from like a short term perspective, really. And I, and I think kind of what we're talking about is a is a, a trade off between you know what produces the most versus what's probably sustainable over the long term, right? Because um, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, but I, I, I think w- what we're saying here is our kind of traditional practices are very tough on the soil and the land. And while it may be working in the short term, if we want to think more long term about it, um, we, we could be running into some issues where it could be like big problems. Like, I mean, the Dust Bowl is like a, a good example, yeah. but something like that, which so far we've tried to like mitigate or control through technology which is which is kind of like what we do in our society in general is we we try to fix problems with technology you know so irrigation fertilizers tilling you know big machines to to do things and it, it's worked when if you're trying to think about just feeding a large amount of people for the least amount of cost um but whether or not that's a long-term solution i think is a, a good question worth you know kind of analyzing or thinking about it's a a huge question i mean civilizations have failed because they couldn't figure out how to manage their soil we are up against our hard break here so we will definitely uh, dive more into that when we uh, get back from our top of the hour break Uh, joining us in studio is Corey miller from uh, grass valley farms as well as rob richardson and bob seidenschwartz from sg long financial we would love to hear your questions as well uh, phone number is 721-1290 if you want to join in on this conversation. We're going to spend a whole another hour with these guys, so give us a call. Get in the queue early. We would love to hear from you. We will be back after this uh, quick timeout. This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM, KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. All right, good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian on Talkback which is brought to you this morning by Phillips Janitorial, uh, bringing tired and dirty carpets back to life. No job is too big or small. Call 406-260-6617. Also by Y-West Storage. Call for pricing and availability at 406-510-0590. Y-West, making room for you. And by Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts. Uh, Gomer's U.S. Diesel Parts and Service in Missoula at Palmer and West Broadway as well as Harrington Surgical Supply. Their mission remains the same, to restore confidence and comfort into your daily life. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. All right, we are back with our guest, Corey Miller from Grass Valley Farms, uh, Rob Richardson and Bob Seidenschwartz from SG Long Financial. And uh, Rob, you were talking about something right before the break, and we kind of had to cut Corey off a little bit there. So if you guys want to continue that, and uh, if you folks want to join in on the conversation, give us a call. Phone number is 721-1290. Yeah, so I, I, I think kind of where one of the things that I'm interested in in asking, um, you know, with that sort of in mind, this idea that, um, you, you know, we, we've kind of optimized for efficiency, we've optimized for stability, we've optimized for volume, like being able to feed like large amounts of people. And Bob, you brought up 
sort of like population dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, it can we feed the population um, using these sort of different or you know more regenerative, more traditional agriculture and ranching methods? Um, so can we produce enough food to feed everybody, and can we do it at a cost that it, you know is affordable? You know, like doesn't break the bank, right? So, so this is part and parcel of the conversation we're having, which is to try to get a sense of the enormity of this issue, and while it's working to where you can actually measure, there are fewer people globally suffering from food shortages than at any other time in history. Yeah. Now, does that mean, oh, great, we've accomplished, we've, we've, we've met the objective here? Uh, or is it just a temporary reprieve? Because think- as we're going through this process, we're also putting great stress on the ecosystems that are required for food production. Well, and I think food quality is a, a big mm-hmm. question. Right? Right. Like we have quantity, but is it like, is it Great the quality that, yeah. that we want? And that's where I think now we ask Corey, based on the work that he's doing, uh, to give us some insight to those very questions. Yeah, I mean, anytime, you know, we, we talk about commercial fertilizer and, and equipment, what we're doing with plants, you know, anytime you're monocropping, you're at a disadvantage, you know, and diversity and, and these things in, in industrial egg. If we're growing wheat, we're growing only wheat. Well, the only biology in that soil is affecting the wheat. Mm-hmm. And so we're selecting specifically for that biology. Over time, that soil loses its ability to host all of the other diversity that's available until we bring something back. And so, you know, can we feed people uh, forever on this model? And and I'm of the opinion that no, we can't. We have on to the come current up. like industrial Correct. kind of model. Okay. Yeah, and the current model, I, I mean. If we're going to continue to increase population and decrease farmland, well, we're, it's a recipe for failure. Sure. You know? So having said that, there's this little factor called profitability <laughs> that Corey, even with all the wonderful work that he's doing, needs to be able to demonstrate is um, either we subsidize him for the good work that he's doing or he's making a profit, which is also the sustainable part that you were referencing earlier you still have to pay the bills. So how do we integrate what you're describing in the work that you're doing and and what are those challenges for people in your position? Yeah, I mean, there's there's all kinds of ways to, to help a farmer. I mean, first thing is buy food locally. If you want somebody, you know where your food's coming from, you, you know the way they're raising those animals or growing that crop, buy direct from the farmer. And uh, if you have questions or need to find them, there's all kinds of organizations. If you just Google it, it'll help you find local farmers. I um, mean, we have a lot of really good ones, even in just in the Missoula Valley, but all throughout Western Montana. You can pretty much get everything you want besides pineapple. <laughs> no pineapple? No pineapple. <laughs> Why would I go then to you if I can't get pineapple? I'm sorry. All right. So when you're talking about this is an education process as much as it's a practical process, too. Correct. So. Do you, and you said something, the city of Missoula, are they working in conjunction or advocating for the small local farmers in some capacity? Or did definitely. I misunderstand? No, no, definitely. Okay. I, we talked about this too, the county yeah. specifically. I mean, the county adopted a right to farm um, regulations, uh, I believe it was in 2019, um, that gave farmers 
you know, the senior, or I guess if a conflict arose between a subdivision next to the farm about what a farmer was doing, the farmer would always win. And, and that was, that's a big deal because if my cattle get out, which they often do because, you know, they don't want to be behind a fence, but if they do get out, they get into a subdivision and for example, cause an accident. Um, typically the driver of that car is liable for, for paying me back for that animal. Ah, so you've got, you've got to have protections for the purpose of maintaining your ability to make a living Correct. because we value what that small family farm produces and adds to within the community. So how do we connect our community, meaning from students to families, to understanding where these options are, what it means and the importance? Because Look, we've had this conversation dozens of times. Yeah. 20 years from now, what's the Missoula Valley look like? Yeah. Where's the growth going to go? Um, what are the legislative, what are the legal issues? You know, where do we get into conflict with each other about what you provide and yet what the growth is demanding in terms of the nonstop issue of more housing? Yeah, well, it all comes back. we got to have food. Do we want it here? Do we want to produce it somewhere else and bring it here? Right. Um, and, you know, those all affect the expense of that food. All right, we are up against our uh, next break here. We do have a caller waiting on the line. Andy would like to join in on the conversation. So we will take your call, Andy, right when we come back from this timeout. If you also have a question, phone number is 721-1290. We would love to hear from you as well. That is Bragg in the Town Square Weather Center. Winter weather advisories and winter storm warnings today for persistent snow this morning. It will taper off, leaving behind an inch or two in the Missoula Valley and Clark Fork, with a potential for up to three inches or more in the southern Bitterroot. Lingering scattered snow showers possible throughout the day, but by this evening, we should see some clearing. That means overnight lows into Friday morning will be down in the low teens, some areas in the single digits. Windshield will also be a challenge. Friday and Saturday look sunny, though, turning warmer on Sunday. All right, we are back on Talkback. Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian. He's out uh, this week on vacation, but he will be back on Monday. Uh, joining us this morning, we have Corey Miller from Grass Valley Farms, as well as Rob Richardson and Bob Seidenschwartz from SG Long Financial. And uh, Andy wants to join the conversation. Uh, Andy, what's your question or comment for Talkback? Uh, good morning. Gentlemen, I uh, just wanted to add a couple points to the conversation. Uh, so it was in 1939 that a German physicist uh, first discovered how to synthesize fertilizer from petroleum products. And since that time, uh, uh, food production has just soared, and we've exceeded our uh, the first natural carrying capacity for humans. Right now, if we quit using synthetic fertilizer, We'd have mass starvation. Um, so we're kind of stuck with this situation. Um, and, you know, the chemical fertilizers, they also destroy the, the fungal community in the soil. And we are just now beginning to have an inkling of understanding about how fungus, net, how important fungus networks in the soil are. couple points there. And then I just wanted to elaborate uh, discussion about vegetation enclosures uh river uh we've got tons of white tail white tail population uh work to keep the population high for good hunting you know uh, white tail so high on the on the bitter uh along the bitter river that the cottonwoods are regenerate 
and the whole Bitterroot River is a, is a, a cottonwood ecology. Everything on the Bitterroot uh, is dependent on having the big cottonwood trees in the river and in the floodplain. Uh, and without these cottonwood enclosures, uh, the trees really don't have a, have a chance, especially where those areas where uh, cattle are allowed to graze the riparian area. So I just wanted to bring up those points. Uh, keep up the good discussion. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Andy, great uh, points, and it uh, kind of blends right into our conversation. So, you know, Rob, off air, we were having a discussion about security, infrastructure, supply chains. Um, So uh, elaborate a little bit on that because that fits into what is in this bigger picture that we're talking about here. Yeah, I think we've talked about it, you know, several times when we've been on here in the past. But this idea that was, I think, really made kind of clear the the problems with of a globalized supply chain over the last, you know, four or five years, right? And you saw, um, you, you know, the trend over the last 20, 30 years has been to globalize our supply chain, utilizing cheap labor in places, you know, it's kind of shifted around the globe from like Japan to China to Vietnam and South Korea. You know, we've been very good at finding where the best places to produce goods uh, cheaply are, and that has benefited us as a as a society um, from the standpoint that it really has kept inflation at bay. It's provided a large volume of cheap goods. It's very much similar to you know what we in, in agriculture, right? Is that we've been able to import uh, food from across the globe, right? It's, it really is a globalized supply chain. Um, but I think we've seen over the last few years that while, again, we've optimized for high volume, low cost, the security of that model, uh, I think, has been called into question, right? So maybe it doesn't make sense to produce all our semiconductors in Taiwan, which is kind of a precarious position relative to China. It doesn't make a lot of sense to produce a large number of pharmaceuticals in China, um, when we need them here in the U.S., it doesn't make a ton of sense to have our food chain um, globalized, you know, sort of based on conflicts around the world, especially, you know, you think about the shipping issues that are going on in the Red Sea right now that we've seen, you know, issues pop up over the last number of years um, that from a security standpoint, it, it makes sense to bring more production back within our communities, right? It, 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 the trade-off is that it'll be more expensive. And, you know, as a, I've, I've got four kids, two of them are teens, another one on the doorstep of teenagerhood. So you have velociraptors constantly at your refrigerator. Yeah, eat me out of house and home. So, you know, so that, that's a concern, right? Like, um, can, like, is this a thing that, you know, how much are we willing to sort of sacrifice the cost of like cheap food um, for the security and quality, you know? And, and uh, I think if you're in a position to make that decision, you're probably fortunate, but there, yeah, there are a lot of people where, you know, they uh, doing the best they can and getting like the cheapest food, um, you know, kind of possible. At the lowest nutritional value. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's trade-offs there obviously right. too, but like, you know, at least it's something on the table that like fills the belly. Um, there's not like easy kind of questions or decisions because like as the Andy was brought up on the call, you know, we are dependent on, you know, sort of 
these fertilizers that help us produce mass volumes to feed a, a large population? The good question is, you know, are we going to see a peak population here in the next several decades? China's already contracted in population size the last two years in a row. Um, it's predicted, uh, you know, that that trajectory is is moving down for the foreseeable future. But there are lots of other places like India and Africa that, uh, you know, are, are still growing at a, a pretty right. decent clip. But, you know, the Western world, Europe, pretty fat, flat population growth. Yeah, stable. Yeah. So this uh, really kind of delves into a multitude of questions that you just raised. So we're very conscientious, or at least we'd like to think we are, about energy usage. The way that we import food sources now is incredibly energy intensive. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm getting fresh or supposedly fresh food from Chile. Yeah. Well, how much does it cost? Well, and how long does it take to get here? And to, to get here and refrigeration and fuel and docking. And then once it gets here, it's got to go on another form of transport. Uh, Rob and myself, and you know that we use a tremendous amount of energy just for transportation in general. So when we come back from the break here, we'll continue this conversation along a couple of pathways that just kind of Rob sparked a couple of ideas here. Yeah, our phone lines are still open, 721-1290, if you want to join in on the conversation like Andy did. Again, our guests in studio, Corey Miller from Grass Valley Farms, Rob Richardson and Bob Seiden-Schwartz from SG Long Financial. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Talk Back. Uh, happy Thursday, everybody. Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian, who is on vacation this week, but he will be back on Monday. Our guests uh, this morning are Corey Miller from Grass Valley Farms, Rob Richardson, and Bob Seiden Schwartz from SG Long Financial. And uh, Jeff called us during the break. Uh, Jeff wanted to be involved in the conversation. Jeff, go ahead. What's your question? Hey, good morning, all. Um, regarding, I have two questions, actually. Uh, the first one is kind of centers around the use of pesticides and, uh, and GMO that uh, there's a lot of uh, organizations out there who claim that uh, genetically modified foods um, are, are harmful to humans. And there's, there's a whole cadre of people who believe that, despite the fact that virtually every uh, national and international organization has looked at them and found no danger. And, and really, every food we eat now is has been genetically modified. If you look at the original maize plant, out of South America and compared to what we now call corn, um, you can't find any resemblance. It's been modified uh, uh, through uh, selective breeding. And, and, but yet there's a lot of people who, uh, who oppose these to golden rice, which could end vitamin B deficiency in the, in the Far East and in, in, in uh, Southeast Asia. And, uh, and to me, it's just kind of incomprehensible. And then, also, for low tillage, you know, low tillage uh, to save topsoil um, pretty much requires that you use uh, Roundup glyphosate. And that, too, has been found not to hurt humans. I don't know if there's been much, how, what the, uh, the research has been done to find out about organisms in the soil. But regarding, uh, regarding human beings, it doesn't harm us yet. There's all sorts of resistance to using glyphosate, even though it does result in less damage to the environment in terms of uh, losing our topsoil. So um, basically kind of the use of pesticides and GMO is one portion. And then the other side 
is something that has been called green colonialism. And the best example is that in Angola, uh, I believe, might be Uganda, um, that they have vast quantities of natural gas that they could use to power and their, their economy and generate electricity. And yet um, Germans take the, and mine the, uh, or get the natural gas, they turn it into ammonia, they ship it to Germany, they turn it into fertilizer, and then they ship that back to Africa so the Africans can use it for fertilizer. And it just increases the prices for the farmers there beyond recognition. And so do you have any experience with green colonialism? Those are basically my two areas. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. I, I don't. I mean, I, I, I think the question comes back to me personally and my family, and do I want them eating you know, foods that have glyphosate sprayed on them. And, and that's a hundred percent a no, you know, and I, I think there's all kinds of health issues. And, and for one, I'm not a doctor, but I do know when I'm eating fresh vegetables out of the garden, I feel better than in the wintertime when I'm eating fresh vegetables out of Safeway. Um, and, and why is that? Well, a lot of it has to do with production and, and things that our bodies aren't used to acquiring or getting at that time. But there are ways that, you know, some of these processes, like that you're talking about where you don't have to use, like, weed killers, right? Like, you use, uh, you know, I listened to a podcast a couple months ago, a guy that was running a farm in Georgia or a big ranching operation using kind of like the similar practice, quit using glyphosate or the weed killers. And, um, you know, his kind of answer to that was brought in goats you know, or things that would like eat the weeds that they didn't want, or just, I, I think it's also sort of this, a trade-off of, yeah, okay, so you get, a, you're a little less efficient um, in being able to use, you know, every square foot of a of an acre to grow something, but the trade-off is that you don't have chemicals in there that, yeah, the long-term effects are probably questionable, just haven't been around long enough to, to really know what that impact's going to be. Correct, yeah. And, and I mean, in farming without chemicals is definitely harder. Yeah, you know, right. That's I think that's the whole point of what we're talking about is like... We're making this system. We try to make it as easy as possible so that we can grow as much food as possible. And, and in so doing, there's some trade-offs. Some yeah. of them are chemicals. Some there's of them also are. the economic issue that often uh, very few farmers have cash to buy what they need from year to year. They're using leverage. Yeah. They're correct. borrowing money from the bank or they have loans out. So clearly... And understandably, they got to make sure that they get a profitable crop to pay yeah. that debt. So they may have like a high net worth if you're looking at like their assets versus their liabilities, but it's all, you know, equipment and well, depending land. on cash flow. Yeah. And if you don't have a crop, you don't have cash flow. That harsh reality. We, we got two callers. Yeah, let's uh, let's actually take our, uh, our break because we're already up against one. So we give Catherine plenty of time. We have Catherine on hold as well as Ed that want to visit with us. Phone lines are still open, 721-1290. If you want to give us a call and join in on the conversation, we'll be back right after this. We are back on Talk Back. Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian, uh, who's on vacation this week. He will be back uh, Monday. And let's get right back to the phones here because uh, Catherine's been on hold. Uh, Catherine, what's your question or comment for Talk Back? Uh, good morning. Morning. So what do you think about the um, idea that is gaining ground in the public conversation that backyard gardens and small farm holdings 
are a big problem in the uh, climate change arena, uh, i.e. That, that more carbon is produced by it than in large food producers. Uh, so that a move is uh, afoot to restrict farming globally. Uh, example, uh, um, Netherlands and Germany and France, and they're having huge uh, riots and protests now about that by farmers. And I would like to point out that uh, totalitarian societies um, have always used food restriction to control populations um, because if a person is trying to scrabble to find food every day, he or she's not likely to rise up in rebellion. And I'd also like to point out that WEF at the uh, latest Davos conference was was proposing um, looking into outlawing backyard gardening eventually. So that's my comment. Thanks. Thanks, Catherine. Oi vey. I know I'd, I'd have a big problem with, uh, with that. Yeah, I, um, yeah. there's a lot of different uh, variations in there. And so l- let's start with backyard farming. First of all, I don't do that because I go to the farmer's market because I'd have to build 15-foot-high fences around my house to keep the deer out. So until you do something about that, You're I'm going gardening. to the farmer's market. So but, I do have uh, a little fenced-off area. Yeah. My backyard. I don't know. Like, I personally, I, I like the idea of self-sufficiency, you, you know, being able to grow stuff in my backyard. I, uh, it seems like a, seems, to me, it seems like a basic human right. Well, there's a personal like sense of accomplishment. Food. I mean, everything yeah. you get, teaching kids. Catherine's question was about somehow these uh, backyards, if I didn't misunderstand her, contributing to carbon emissions now yeah. she uh-huh. mentioned the dutch and i and i am familiar with that i don't know if you two gentlemen are but they're looking at restricting the amounts of fertilizers ah, the farmers can the use. farmers can use because they're concerned about what of course then the runoff is and the implications now the eu is kind of a little bit of a different animal yeah when it comes to food and i'm not qualified to speak to those nuances but that was the issue with the netherlands and of course the farmers are like pushing back against this and saying, whoa. You can't tell us what to do. This is you, our livelihood. This is our livelihood. So, Go ahead, Rob. So what's the driver, I guess, uh, fill me in then, Bob. What, what's the supposed driver of, like, increased carbon footprint for a, a garden? I, I, I'm asking the Are same question. Are we talking fertilizer? Like, well, is that the... She raised the question, but I don't have any specifics, and I don't know what she was alluding to with Davos in terms of, you know, they're going to outlaw backyard farming because of some reason these are you know you can take one story from something that was said by somebody and take that into a whole different realm too so i think you need more background i can speak to the netherlands a little bit more effectively than what somebody at davos over a couple of cocktails may have been saying well i I mean a lot of people there's uh, a a lot of thoughts on you know this idea for like davos being a you know place where the the, the puppeteers. Yeah, or can kind yeah. of control my stuff. And to be honest, yeah, if they're trying to like, I, I just, that sounds ridiculous to tell people they can't have a garden in their backyard. You want to get me Especially, pissed off, take my garden away yeah, from right? me. right? Like, you know, you go back to World War II and, you know, the government's encouraging everybody to grow gardens. Victory gardens. Yeah. 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 Hey, there's a story always for another story. We got three calls lined up here. Yeah, yeah all of a sudden yeah. we got uh, three callers here. Ed's uh, next in line. Uh, Ed, what's your question or comment for our guests? Uh, one side note first. Uh, uh, I can't think about flooding of the Mississippi that you mentioned without uh, thinking of 
uh, Randy Newman's song, 1927 Louisiana, about the biggest flood that really started the black migration to the northern cities. Uh, but in, in, in any event, that song is fantastic. But uh, about Roundup or uh, glyphosate, the active ingredient, it's interesting that the European Union very recently, their environmental uh, agency, approved its use for another 10 years. And it's because they can't really prove there's a problem uh, with it. Uh, so for another 10 years, uh, it'll be available in uh, in Europe, that's uh, that was from a recent trade magazine. So, in any event, I find that really interesting because you think that they are much more conservative about things uh, than we are over here. Yeah. Thanks, Ed. All sorts of variations yeah. on the variations, isn't there? <laughs> of which, who knows half the time why decisions may be made. Yeah. Yep. You want to get to our yeah, please. Let's All get right. to a couple so of other folks here. We also have Harry on the line. Harry, uh, go ahead. You're on Talkback. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, yeah, well, first of all, uh, to Jeff, uh, uh, the uh, or golden rice is uh, for vitamin A deficiency, not B. But anyway, also, the glycine uh, may not affect humans, but also it affects the environment. I mean, like you were talking about the uh, all the ground, um, was it fungus or all that. That affects that. So, I mean, it's, it's a bigger thing. But anyway, uh, I, my question is, now, you know, you like to say the population is growing, and you know, they were at, I think we're at, actually we're, went over 8 billion here, not recently, but uh, and they, they're predicting up to 10 billion. But even more so than the, just the population is the wealth has been spreading out through globalization, which I think is a good thing. So you got people over in, like, China now that are... Uh, Eating beef, which they never did before, and and India will be do the same thing, which is a very you know vastly more uh, resource uh, use of you know things to grow it. So that is actually making a bigger you know a drain on stuff. And like you say, the uh, we gr- we are uh, building over all our good land, and so it's uh, it's a vicious cycle we've got. And we, there's more demand for uh, drawing on less area. And I'm wondering, how do we break out of the cycle? I mean, it's, um, I, I, I can't see it. You know, it's, it's tough. I mean, right now, I, I don't buy beef, really, unless it's on the clearance aisle. It's, it's out of my, my purview. So, I mean, it's, um, how do we break out of this vicious cycle? More demand on less area, and with the, even with the uh, chemicals we are using, that's only going to be able to help so much. So how do we break out of this vicious cycle? Thanks, Harry. Gentlemen? I mean, that's a question for very much smarter people than us, but I would say that, you know, we have to start somewhere. And what is that? You know, is that starting to restriction, restricting development of lands? I know our ranch um, is zoning was changed to make it more restrictive for building and, and more conducive to farming. And I think that we have to protect our soils um, it, it, every step along the way, whether that be... Um, through you know restrictions on development or or how we manage that land, um, and we have to incentivize incentivize farmers to become you know better. And I would say, I mean, you ask any farmer a question if you ask them personally if they think they're a good steward of the land, and I think everybody does. We all think that we're doing the right thing, right. you know, and that may include putting glyphosate down or whatever. But in the whole scheme of things, are we producing something and are we benefiting society? 
And, and in turn, yes. And we need more farmers. We need more young people, you know, out learning how this process works. Because when I got into it, I didn't. And I had to learn. And, um, you know, my daughter is taking uh, egg classes at Big Sky and she's learning. But this whole process of where our food comes from, we don't know. And that's why I've got you here on the show today. And we have Rob talking about some of the economic issues. What I've observed in my lifetime is until there's a crisis, yeah. we don't pay attention. We don't think about it. We don't think about it. And to be fair, uh, life's comfortable. I get what I need and, you know, um, I, I don't want for much. So yeah. why do I have to burden myself thinking about these issues when there's so many other things that come into our lives? So where this process maybe starts to change is people like you. Yeah. Others that are doing something similar. And you raise a question. How do you encourage young people to think about this as a possible future? Where does that start? Is it part of the 4-H clubs? Is it educational opportunities? Do you get out to speak to schools? So I, I've learned this over my working lifetime. You've got to be out there publicly yeah. having yeah. conversations. And it won't happen overnight. It, it's it a slow, tedious process. But... That's part of the equation. It's not fully the answer, and Nick has given me the signal. <laughs> the break signal, break yes. Signal. We, we are yeah. up against another break, and uh, we do have three uh, callers waiting on the line. We have Ted, Jack, and Andy's back with a question. So uh, we have about 18 minutes or so left in our show this morning. I uh, want to, again, thank our guests, Corey Miller from Grass Valley Farms, Rob Richardson and Bob Seidenschwartz from SG Long Financial, um, there's still time to get your question in, so give us a call, 721-1290. We would love to hear from you. If you served, we want you to get the health care and benefits you earned. We want you to come to VA. There's never been a better time to apply. Under a new law called the PACT Act, we've expanded VA care and benefits to millions of people who served and their survivors. No matter where you served or how long you served, check out va.gov slash PACT. To learn more about what VA can do for you and your family, come to VA. We are back on Talk Back. Nick Christensen here filling in for Peter Christian. And uh, let's get right back to the phones here because they filled up pretty fast. I believe we have Ted on. Uh, Ted, what's your question or comment for our guest this morning? I heard you guys briefly touch on the uh, fertilizer and the supply chain issues. And I wanted to add to that that before the Ukraine war, 40% of the world's nitrogen came from Russia. That's all gone. It's been sanctioned. So now the entire world has to deal with 60% of the world's nitrogen, or deal with 60% of the nitrogen. And although I'm not an expert on the farming part, I am well-versed in diesel mechanics and Diesel exhaust fluid is a derivative of nitrogen, and it doesn't store well either. It only lasts like six, uh, uh, not even a full year. It's a matter of months, um, so you can't really stockpile it. And I predict the future, and I'm always right, and I predict that the diesel exhaust fluid will be so scarce that one day you won't be able to get the diesel exhaust fluid. And so I, I predict that there will be exemptions for farm equipment and over the whole over the road long haulers to where the person driving down to the grocery store with their stupid diesel truck getting groceries 
will still be sanctioned, will still have to keep it on their truck, the DEF. Um, so I'm just letting you know that to get ahead of that so that you can push that so that farm equipment doesn't need this stupid diesel exhaust fluid system. Thank you very much, Mike Call. Well, I wanted to ask about uh, what your prediction for the market is. Rob and I would love to know that. But, uh, <laughs> if if you're never wrong, yeah. uh, we got a job waiting for you. Yeah, uh, that's it. but that's interesting, though. Yeah. Like, right, like we've talked about it here before. You know, supply chain challenges, conflict, all that stuff that like comes up. Oh, it's real. Control and yeah. you, you know, and, and and while like there certainly have been a lot of benefits to globalization, there it's absolutely not without risks from a you know security standpoint. Yeah. I just I think it's funny. We have one tractor that has diesel exhaust fluid, and it's the one that's always in the shop. <laughs> the newest tractor we have, and the one that never wants to start. Right, that's all. Good yeah, thing yeah. we have long term warranties. <laughs> all right, we got a jack. Also waiting on the line to visit with us. Jack, uh, what's your question or comment for our guests? Yeah, good morning. Um, I'm back on with this, uh, that I've, I've mentioned this many times before. It, the, the solution is, is simple. Humans need to eat less meat, period. Uh, meat production uses up 70% of all the farmland around the world. Cattle are uh, consuming huge quantities of water the water it takes to grow their food is is, is absolutely detrimental to the, to the earth and the pup and the health of people it's real easy if people just make an effort um just cut back on meat better yet go vegan which we are i'm 71 and great health um they're, they're, meat is killing us. It's, it's the bottom line. It's got to. It, we have to cut back, and no one wants to mention that. No one wants to change their personal habits. It's not hard if you really care. Do it. I read a book called Diet for a New America in, in about 1990. Changed my life. Changed my uh, the people around me, my family. We all live this. It's fabulous. It is the answer. Um, cleaner Earth, healthier Earth. And uh, that's about all I got. Thank you for your comments, Corey. Thank you. You know, I'm not going to tell someone what they do or should or should not eat, but I will say this, that if if our plan is to to change or at least put a dent in the carbons that are being released in the atmosphere, the the only way that we're going to be able to do it is with animals. And, And that is those animals eating grass, storing that carbon deep in the soil, and then, you know, having it for to be used in the future. If we continue to till and continue to farm the way we are to produce, you know, this grains, these things that, that we do eat that are non-animal, um, we're, we're definitely going to be in a worse position. So we turn the adversary into our, you know, opportunity we in do. effect, which, and that's part of the education process because you're talking about a very different type of system. Correct. In terms of the storage, which becomes available for future usage at a much higher and more efficient rate. Future, it is, I mean, yeah. and, and you look at, and I, I know I've told you guys this on a previous conversation, but when I got my fertilizer bill for the first year to f- to, to fertilize this thousand acres of hayfields that we have, it was eighty four grand. Eighty four thousand dollars goes a long way uh, in in making it so I will never be profitable. And now, what's that bill? <laughs> and that bill is zero. Zero. We produce our own right. compost. We're producing our own fertilizers. We're putting it out on our soil. We're using the cows to digest and convert no, that but, mineral back. But there into is a fertilizer. cost to that too. There is a cost. Yeah, and that's what one of the things in terms of helping people understand that you have reduced your cost. We have significantly But you've also supercharged your ability to produce for further purposes, too. Correct. 100% correct. 
All right, let's. Uh, we're actually up against our last break here. It's a one minute timeout. Uh, Andy's been on, but we will get to his call uh, right when we come back. Only about eight minutes left in our program. So if you have a question, get in the queue. Phone number is 721 1290. We'd love to hear from you as well. We are back on Talk Back. Nick Christensen here, filling in for Peter Christian, uh, who was on vacation this week. He will be back on Monday. Again, I want to thank our guests in studio, Corey Miller from Grass Valley Farms, Rob Richardson from SG Long Financial, as well as Bob Seidenschwartz. And uh, Andy's back with a question or comment. Uh, Andy, go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call again. Uh, just a, a word about glyphosate. Uh, you know, this, the cigarette industry for years uh, kept us from uh, regulating cigarettes or determining that they cause cancer and then the scientific uh, uh, then the companies also uh, tried to keep us from awareness of the ozone hole but eventually that got proven that that was a problem acid rain the same sort of thing the same they're doing the same sort of thing with glyphosate but even if it doesn't isn't cancerous to us we know that it destroys soil we also know that every one of us no matter how organic we eat has glyphosate glyphosate in our systems um, it, so we have to ask ourselves, is that something we want in our systems? Is that something we want our children eating? Um, so just some words about glyphosate. It, it, it poisons the soil. And if we have healthy soil, as your guest mentioned, uh, if we have healthy soil, we'll have healthy food and we'll have healthy trees. And the previous uh, caller mentioned uh, what we need to do to save the world, uh, quit eating meat. And there's very much truth to that. But really what we need is a smaller population, uh, birth controls and, and education of women in, in uh, uh, third world countries, etc. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Andy. Do you want to take our next caller? Um, or do you yeah, want to well, let's make it quick because there's a couple of things I want Corey to be able to wrap yeah, up yeah. with. Uh, yeah, we have uh, Charles. Uh, Charles, what's your question or comment for Talkback? You're on. Well... The gentleman who said that we need to quit eating beef entirely and it's not healthy for us and not healthy for the environment is totally wrong. I am 71 years old and I lived on a ranch with my Aunt Mabel. And we rotated our property and our crops. We had very few weeds and we had healthy cattle and the thing was healthy. Now we, like you do, we taken, we, we created our own compost and, and that there we, it, it just it worked out good. We never had anything bad. So I think what we need to do is to go to a natural way of, or the older way of doing farming. Now, she was one of the first people to do the shallow tilling. Right. Uh, I don't know what they call it now, but she called it shallow tilling, where she told, where she just did the very tops of the soil and flipped it over and then put the seeds down. Yeah. Uh, and... Go ahead. No, very yeah. effective process. I mean, it's no-till. There's all kinds of ways to do that, or limited tillage specifically. Uh, and, and very effective at still keeping the fungal population but getting new plant diversity into into a field What you you know to do your production. So question yeah, for you, yeah. Corey, and for, and for our, our listener here. Did Aunt Mabel, was it, did he say? Yeah. yeah. Uh, did yeah. she understand the importance of fungal uh, you know, activity yeah, in the soil? Yeah. And did that come she to her? Ahead of her time. Yeah, where did she learn that from? Was it something that she just kind of organically understood, or did somebody help her? Well, I think she was raised with it. 
and 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 uh, a lot of the old ranchers after the Dust Bowl went to that yeah. type of tilling because the, the big Dust Bowl was because they were doing a deep till and it was turning the ground over and it then they had a lean drought and we had the Dust Bowl. That's my understanding. I'm not as smart as what I think I am. But, <laughs> no, but, no, you're, uh, you're, you're right on. I mean, we all get to this mentality or our thinking because of paradigms that existed in our previous life or whatever it was. And that happens all the time. Yeah. So thank you for your call. Oh, really yeah. appreciate it. Thanks, Charles. And thanks for listening to me. Bye-bye. Yep. We have, uh, we have another caller really quick, uh, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, you said you had a comment. Oh, Go well. ahead. You're on. Yeah. Just listening to people say what we should and shouldn't do, I guess we need to become a communist country like Vladimir Lenin. We can kill millions of people and depopulate. And the government can tell us what we can eat and what we can't eat and what we can do with our property. I guess that's the only answer that some of these folks think we should go for. Well, I have a proposal I'll be right, making th to the city Kevin. council tomorrow for that exact... Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes, guys. No, kidding aside, and thank you for your comments. Um, Corey, a couple of things to wrap things up since we only have a few minutes here. There's been a lot, of, a lot said, which is really kind of <laughs> well, pivoting you off to talk of what about you're education, doing. right? Yeah, yeah really, yeah. the educational part. You're going to be teaching a course or going to talk to some well, fifth Well, we graders. offer, you know, through the so – yeah. yeah, tomorrow I'm going to go be going and talking to the fifth grade science classes at Frenchtown about composting and what they're doing and getting on my microscope and looking at the actual biology that's there mm -hmm. and showing these kids, you know, what to see, what they want to look for, what they want to find in their soil or compost. Um, but it's, you know, and that's something that I do on the ranch every day in the summertime. Yeah. You said you run tours. We do. We run tours. We bring people out. We show them exactly what we're doing. You know, our chemical free form of agriculture and how we're fertilizing with compost that we're making on soil. I mean, this technology is nothing new. Right. You know, right. We, it's, it's just much more, I'm not going to call it more efficient because it does take more, more labor. Um, but it is a way for us to know exactly what's going into our soil, exactly what's showing up in the food that we eat. Uh, and, and we can show people that at our facility. So in, in many respects, you're on the cutting edge of trying to help this community and the region here. Uh, and there's others like you that are doing this work as well. I'd say it's far from the cutting edge. I mean, okay. this, uh, well, we're, I'm employing, you know, phenomenal 1800 technology. <laughs> ah, all right. <laughs> that's all we're so, doing. So let's get back to basics then, and that's what your uh, objective is, is to show basic 1800 technology that's more effective. How much penetration are you or hope to be making? You don't have to move the needle tremendously in order to make a difference. I would say difference. this. I mean, for me, my what I'm most proud of is what we've been able to do on the ranch as far as how much water holding capacity we have in our soil. I talk about that for a brief second, please. You know, and I think that's, you know, this soil organic matter equates to how much we're able to hold, how much water we're able to hold on our, on our, on our soil. And when I, when I started, we were at 6% soil organic matter. We're up to seven and a half percent now. That is an extra 30,000 gallons of water that I can store per acre on my land. And when we get into our dry summer months here, as we do, that yeah. makes a difference. I mean, we're expecting if, if, if things continue how they are now and we're going to be dry this summer, I know that I'm going to have production because I am storing all of this moisture that's coming in. Right. I have the ability to feed my crop to get it to at least produce something. So you have built resiliency on multiple levels into your methodology. Correct. Efficiency for me, or I shouldn't say efficiency, but resiliency for our land is going to be ongoing future years, even if we have a, a drought that lasts two, three, four years. Right. We're going to have the ability to capture what little water we, we do get in the wintertime. Water and food. 
Without him, you don't do very well, you do you? don't survive. Rob, a couple of quick uh, closing comments on your part? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I think just one of the things we've talked about a lot, and just to reemphasize, is is understanding the trade-offs, right? There's, regardless of what we choose or the way things go, there's always trade-offs, you know, uh, whether that's, um, you, you know, you degrade the soil for higher efficiency or you produce less, but it's higher quality. You know, these types of like choices exist in like everything we do. And so the, the, the idea is that, you know, if you better understand at least what those choices are, uh, you can make you know, decisions that work for you. Gentlemen, wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, we are completely out of time. Uh, Thanks again to Corey Miller, Rob Richardson, and Bob Seiden-Schwartz. We will be back on TalkBack tomorrow morning. It'll be me and uh, forestry specialist Peter Kolb, and he wants to talk about climate change. So get all those phone calls ready. We'd love to hear from you. And 